0: What you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders. While supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: We listened to Almost There by Pedro the Lion, and we're gonna talk about it today on Good Christian Fun. My
2: butthole tingling all the time! (laughs) Do you think you can make God laugh? No, bitch. Little mischievous boy. You're a clown if you say (laughs) fuck. a christian wife <laughs> sicario i'm a christian wife white women are notoriously shifty i'm a christian wife. you should be upset that i had a laugh with her clean up on the aisle but dr anthony fauci
1: my name is dr anthony fauci and there's a million things i haven't cured but just you wait just you wait Dr. Anthony Fauci. Welcome to Good Christian Fun. I'm Kevin.
2: I'm Caroline.
1: And we are the number one Dr. Anthony Fauci fan cast.
2: Fauci stands.
1: On the Apple Podcast, (laughs) iTunes charts. It's definitely something that's a net positive for the world. The stand culture around political leaders, bureaucrats, (laughs) and politicians is only going to be good for our society and for our values going forward.
2: Never grouchy when I think of Fauci. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, he's no slouchy. We love Fauci. <laughs> a lot of uh, re-election. Uh, uh, uh,
2: Free three slogans. Yeah, no, he doesn't run for office. You know
1: what? Because he's a career politician. You know what that means, right? Deep mm-hmm.
2: fucking state.
1: FTM, follow the money. Good Christian fun <laughs> <laughs>
2: is the podcast
1: where we talk about Christian pop culture, the music, the movies, and the entertainment made for and made by christians but we're not here to make fun of you or to make you go to church or we're just here to play um you know acapella members parodies of dr anthony <laughs> fauci said to the hamilton yeah, soundtrack sort of to
2: like both sides every argument you know
1: we love kind of to cover our bases and be like well i don't mean to offend them but i
2: don't mean to offend them
1: either and just like well, really break our backs doing it
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. It's that one stop shop.
1: It's a one stop shop for that. But today, the topic is we're not talking about Fauci. We're talking about Pedro. Pedro the Lion. <laughs> it's a band, yes. not a guy. Now, Caroline, upon just seeing the artist title, did you think, okay, who's Pedro?
2: You know, I'm ashamed to say that I truly, not until this moment, Uh, I didn't think about what the band title meant or who Pedro is or anything. I think if anything, like the light memory of Napoleon Dynamite crossed my mind and then that that was gone and that's kind of where I left it.
1: Okay. Oh, wow.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Wait, vote for Pedro? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) More election wow. talk though We don't need to get into that
1: Wow that's I know I'm sorry That's actually the most toxic election of our lifetimes Is, is when um, <laughs> The
2: vote for Pedro boys Like Wes
1: Anderson adjacent Children Would wear a vote for Pedro shirts <laughs> In Kingwood High School in Texas um, But you know we can't talk about this man And this band alone We need help from a very special guest <laughs> I love the magic of podcasting <laughs> Friends and folks, he's an author, he's an artist, and guess what? He's a therapist too. Everyone, give it the hell up for Jeff Newberg! Newberg! I should have said out with the old Bergen with the Newberg, and I do regret that. I apologize for that part.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Thanks so much for having me, guys. Hey, thanks for being here. Not that I'm not used to the the regular bits of the show but it's so nice to have it directed in this direction
1: yeah is that i mean i you've said you've listened to the show before is it is it unsettling when the people are yelling it at you is that uh <laughs> no no
3: it's 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 what i've been you know the performing artist in me is just you know yes more <laughs> more absolutely is there an award is there is there something cr- in chrome
2: i have how, five minutes prepared but how much time do i need to fill
1: <laughs> <laughs> we, we did to we did do the gc effies starting this year so maybe oh, we'll God. give out some effies next year uh for like best guest best segment yeah. all that stuff
2: for so, your yes. consideration caroline ely best co-host of the pod.
3: <laughs> as long as we can destroy whatever fun or creativity we might have during this time together and focus me on competition, I'm happy. Absolutely.
1: Caroline, you doing okay over there, buddy? <laughs> now, the listener at home can't hear this. The
3: exact way the ear the earbuds got yanked out. <laughs>
1: it came up to the chin it's crazy it's very vulnerable but the way we record it when we record this on Zoom is it does not sound we do not sound to each other the way it sounds to you right now the listener we're hearing each other through our various computer microphones Speakers and then audio run through headphones. So for Caroline, she is uh, wearing her Apple earbuds and her microphone is attached. And for maybe this was cut out, but maybe for half the episode last week, it was just underwater under her shirt <laughs> or something because she had the other earbud attached
2: to her ear. It's like the little microphone that like TikTokers bring up to their mouth when they talk and narrate things. I just, I didn't I forgot that that was a working component of the whole situation, <laughs> which is odd
1: given. The uh, the TikTok exposure in your life,
2: yeah, and my audio engineering that I've been really working on in this pandemic.
1: I was gonna say congrats on getting your master's on that. I by guess, the way,
2: thank you. It was a yeah. certification, but I'll take the I'll take the promotion. That's nice.
1: Hey, University of Phoenix is nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, thanks so much for joining us on Phoenix's the show. My oh, is that true? <laughs> yeah. Well, then let's start there. How'd you grow up Christian, religious, spiritual in Phoenix?
3: Yeah. Well. Um, I think one of the reasons I like your pod so much, uh, as I was telling you all offline, uh, this is the only happy podcast in my feed. I'm a little too goth <laughs> when it comes to my <laughs> podcast choices, I guess, or maybe it's just goth times. Um, and one of the the differences for me, and I think it's like an anthropological interest, like an academic interest in this this Christian pop culture that I didn't, I, I kind of missed out on. I I, I found Christian faith on my own sort of separate from family upbringing, uh, with my, you know, really premature existential crisis at like age 13. And, and so I didn't, I didn't, you know, get all the just mind blowing, um, focus on the family type type (laughs) shit that y'all poor people got. Um, and so I I sort of got to pick and choose in, in my own way and sort of, got to figure out my way of being a a snotty obscurist uh even when it came to the the christian material and thus here we are with pedro the lion um and so i came to the church seeking the one place in scottsdale arizona that held plausible claim to a place you could find god and find the hot chicks and mm-hmm. that was the Scottsdale Bible Church uh, was youth that group. That
2: Venn diagram for you was that.
3: Yeah, <laughs> it was that's a real true. bait and switch, though. I, <laughs> I, you know, once I once I found Jesus, I also signed up for the the whole abstinence thing. So uh, they got me. I
2: know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's yeah, for life. I don't know if you knew. <laughs> it's a life. <laughs> I know life you have children, you but you will need to go go ahead and get back on that train. If you can. <laughs>
1: can you imagine
3: (laughs) oh my god no no no. we did it all surgically no oh
2: great oh i'm so happy (laughs) to hear that and i was going to
3: ask you about that
2: (laughs) can i ask real quick were were your parents religious at all like in their background at all or sort of um
3: my mom was a extremely spiritual person and had a very strong connection to faith and um you know didn't do a lot of labeling with it and then my dad uh is a really legalistic fellow um, by by nature and by nurture. But when I was a child, the only way that manifested religiously is we went to church quite consistently, like every Sunday, but we did not believe in anything in particular in the church that we attended and didn't seem to believe in, in much other than sort of moral teachings. And um, it was just sort of a really uninspiring experience for, for me as a child and dicked around as much as possible. And it, it sort of seemed like that, that was fine with everybody until I, I found a, an expression of the faith that, you know, I think developmentally was exactly what I needed, even if it wasn't exactly a place, the evangelical church, a place I should have stayed for very long.
1: So developmentally, what needs did it fulfill for you at that time?
3: I think one of the ways that I conceptualize it is when things are really fucked up, and you find something healthier, it's good. Um, The risk though is defining less traumatic as healthy. Mm -hmm. And it is absolutely true that the evangelical church was a safer, healthier, more loving place than my home. uh, But that does not mean that it was health. And I think that that's a space that gets a lot of us sort of frozen in amber in one stage of growth, instead of, you know, trying to move on and look for what the next thing is, you know, Richard Rohr on that, you know, developmentally appropriate religion, I think that's a phrase of his, but it's certainly a theme of his, Uh, this idea that no, no, conservative religion is what a young mind needs developmentally, Black, black and white rules are appropriate for a young mind. But if you're doing that at middle age, there's a significant stunting of growth going on. And so, yeah, I think the last few years have been about unstunting. Yeah.
1: Yeah, That's such an interesting idea too, that there is value. Uh, We were, Caroline and I were having a, a discussion about even the theology of heaven and hell and whether that has any intrinsic value to it at all, because it does speak to the sort of black and white thing that you're talking about that for a child in a sense of pretty clear discipline does maybe provide a structure that is understandable and manageable that doesn't account for the nuance of the world to say nothing of the theology that we do have to wrestle with later. So so how long do you feel like that was useful for you? If you came to it, you said at
3: age 13? Yeah, and, and then you know stayed in that evangelical world for as long as I was in Phoenix until I, I went to college at 18 across the country at, in Chicago discovering that I was an artist in college and just having a really broad set of relationships and and that whole process had me moving away in college from an evangelical expression of the faith toward a reformed one and the positives there again positives for growth were a lot more activism a lot more social involvement a lot more of a outward facing faith that tries to act within the world rather than this inward you know have some some Holy beliefs set in stone that write your ticket. Again, I I, I have compassion for that college age student who needed to grow in that way. But then I I think the trick, uh, the really tricky part for me was then, while that faith was more progressive, I think some of the psychological roots of the reform tradition are as fucked up as anything Christianity has to offer. Uh, you know, becoming a Calvinist basically for. 15 years um was a great way to play into the categories of shame that i got handed uh by my father and, and and by some of my my earliest forms so they this real real wonderful corkscrew effect that happened there until i i chucked a you know a church life uh what about four years ago now uh, within a you know within a church that I've been a part of for 13 14 years as uh, a lay leader and and on staff at, at various points in, in various positions and just just said this is part of what I've got to deconstruct in order to grow
1: I, I want to ask about the the Calvinist theology uh, relating to the stuff you got handed down psychologically from your parents uh, because I always think of it as the sort of in the sort of caricature I, I feel like we go to often on this show is the kind of brow beating and like going up for the altar call and beating your chest and saying i'm a worm i'm very lowly i have nothing good in me it is only christ in me was that the sort of thing that cuz i'm wondering about kids who who do and adults that that do find that stuff sort of affirming or validating in some sort of way is that because it matched the sort of maybe psychology that, that your parents handed down to you?
3: Yeah. And I, I think I, you know, I think it's less about theology or even psychology and more about, you know, habits of mind. Um, I think shame was used as, as a tool in my family system and that, you know, in the same way it's used in Calvinist theology and Calvinist churches in my experience This idea, you know, utter depravity um, that that you allude to with, you know, uh, there's nothing good in me, zero. The way that allows for a really universalized shame that, you know, know, that classic uh, differentiation between guilt and shame. um, You know, Brene Brown probably put it most famously of just guilt, I've done something wrong. Shame, I am something wrong. You know, that's, I mean, that lines up so neatly with the Calvinist philosophy that sort of on the other side of things of seeing, you know, becoming a practitioner, a therapist and and working a lot with shame, both in my client work that led me into my work as a therapist, which won't surprise you is very often the case. Um, you know, a lot of it is just now about as a practitioner, it's about what works and when you take what works as a practitioner, you're gonna reflect back on your theology and it doesn't really hold, you can't hold that I could no longer hold this tension of this faith system that speaks of love so often, but that propagates shame. And we just sort of like throw our hands up like, oh, weird coincidence that this has been (laughs) happening for the 200 years of American evangelicalism. How strange, oh well, moving on. And it's at a certain point, if you believe in what works, you say, No, this theology propagates shame, which is love's relational opposite, and therefore it can't be love, and, and therefore it can't be right. It can't be correct.
1: So how did you end up reconciling those things?
3: Oh yeah, I got it all worked out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're arrived, right? <laughs> I, I here I am. I at really
2: the destination. To that. <laughs> it's so interesting to hear you just describe this from like a from your like, vocational perspective. I know you have a lot of vocations, but, like, the idea of, like, what was developmentally, what worked for me. And then when I realized that psychology deeply affects who you are as a person and the the psychology of what a person is, is also a part of religion, even though we think they're separate sometimes, you know? Like, oh, you can be an evangelical Christian and then you can also practice, like, deep self-compassion, you know? And, like, all these things. And I... Th- I think like that's probably why I feel maybe as like an ex that like therapy replaces so much of like the function that religion had or that God had in like my self-identity or whatever because like yeah they, they are kind of at odds or they were at odds and that's why why things started to fray at some point in life when you couldn't hold the line anymore and so it's just like it's profound to me even just to remember right now like oh yeah any religion and including Christianity does have like a psychology aspect to it, even if they don't admit it or, or like aren't cognizant of it. Like it's deeply woven into what you think you are when you're worshiping God, just huge. <laughs> it's crazy.
3: Yeah. And I, I love the idea that, that you mentioned of like, you know, you can, can, can you be, can one be an evangelical and practice deep self-compassion? And I think the answer obviously from experience is yes, but I think the more complicated answer is, well, in the end, you didn't believe in any deep meaning of the word in the things you said you believed, because it would preclude all that.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty wild, isn't it?
3: Well, we're all doing versions of that all the time, right? Like, no, no, no two of us mean the same thing when we say the word God, and that includes whatever purity culture churches I was a part of where we all signed 20-page faith systems. You know, it's still the case that, I'm standing there thinking of a different God than than Joe is and than Martha is. You know, it sort of comes down to, I guess, questioning and re-questioning those categories.
1: I'm also interested, too, just how, uh, kind of speaking to what Caroline said, there's probably so many people, and I don't even know if if you, you specialize in this with your clients, but there's probably so many people that do find this uh, as far as therapy goes, looking for new systems, because I think I think a commonality that Caroline and I share, too, as far as leaving that sort of church is also missing some of that structural comfort that is value systems-based, and that is, okay, here are the kind of guidelines and sort of boundaries, not the black and white stuff that does propagate that like sort of shame that we're talking about, but the sort of value systems that give us at least a, a, a little bit of a roadmap to to navigate life. As a therapist, how, how have you found a corrective way to communicate those things that is not dogmatic or one size fits all?
3: Yeah, um, it always depends on the client. Yeah, I, I deal with a lot of folks uh, recovering from systems of abuse, including uh, religious trauma and, and shame. Those all, those all go together. Trauma and shame are, you know, if not siblings, step-siblings. I think a huge part of the, the way I interact with this, you know, you, you said sort of, you pointed out that the difficulty is you want to give guidance, but you also don't, you never want to become the guru. Um, and then you also don't want to make something else, the new sacred text, I, I really like the idea of of dialogue. I really like the idea of depending on the client and how I know them, recommending a couple books that come at the topic from from different positions, or recommending uh, you know certain podcasts that you know allow for, for... ours. Uh, yeah. Ours? <laughs> Is, mm. Are we one of them? Yeah, you guys mm. just really need to listen to Audio <laughs> Adrenaline get picked apart. <laughs> um,
2: you never recommend our podcast. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Wow! Wish I knew that before we booked you, Caroline.
1: I told you we should have done a more multi-level marketing system where every guest has to recommend the podcast to three people. I know been I was foolish to, three to say people. that that was too. Well, let me be clear:
3: <laughs> I often recommend your podcast, but uh-huh. not to clients.
1: Yeah, no, not not for something that might uh, lose your credentials potentially in yeah, a professional yeah. situation. Well,
2: Jeff, even like what you described, I feel like is a really good um, uh, kind of rule of thumb to follow, depending on if you're figuring out like your mental health journey or like what church you like or what belief system you're into too, because what you were telling your client was like, here's some resources, but ultimately like the important thing is that you decide for yourself what you believe and like you practice your own like critical thinking and your own version of whatever works. And that's like, that's really key. And I don't know if that's always like intuitive or, or like given as an instruction in the churches that you're actually at. It might be a little bit more top down. This is what we believe. And you have like a little bit of wiggle room within that, you know?
3: Yeah. I think that's a great way to conceptualize the difference, right? Here's the answer, all caps versus uh, your job is to figure it out. Sorry.
2: Yeah. And it's going to be ultimately a lot better for you when you like do it, not because someone you wanted to please someone or you wanted to fit in or whatever, but because it worked for you.
1: How do you find God useful in therapy at all as a figure? Because I know some, and I know you're not specifically a quote unquote Christian therapist or anything like that, but I, but I am curious that, you know, in things like AA or Al Anon, God does kind of persist or whatever is the synonym for God or the higher power does persist in a lot of the uh, structural import of those things. So where do you find, I, I feel like the way we've kind of been trending in our own lives is is that we we want God when it's useful and we want it when it's not or not loving. So when is God useful for you in therapy?
3: I think a lot of it comes down to to speaking the same language as my clients, right? Um, and I'm gonna, I'll circle back to shame because it's the clearest example of when not to say something. Insight isn't a, a holy grail in therapy, you know, Freud and, and, and you know, still a very heavy hitter from the grave in, in the field, this, this idea that insight is sort of the, the end of things, whereas, you know, insight doesn't create change. Insight doesn't create growth on its own. It, it's an important step in the process. Likewise with, with shame. If, if I have the insight that a client is in shame, uh, it in a lot, maybe the majority, I don't know, but certainly a lot of, of the times when I sense that, and I feel that, and I can validate that clinically It would actually be counterproductive and damaging to the work for me to name it to to name shame is often shaming you know i was really glad to come to therapy in a time i mean just you know i I only started studying in 2017 and i just put the pedal to the metal on my studies because i knew what i wanted to do and i was glad to come to it in, in a place that even you know at you know a secular institution that we had begun in the field when educating new therapists to always talk about the spiritual dimension. Um, And that's really new. Um, It used to be something we ignored. And again, that's really Freudian. Um, You know, Freud wrote a book called The uh, Religion Colon, The Future of an Illusion. And I'm so glad that we've returned to that. And what that means to me is that I will always conceive of all of us as spiritual beings, and that includes myself on my atheist days and there are many if the word god is part of the language for a client spirituality great and if the word yoga or the word breath work or the word love or the word connection is instead the language for this same thing or that might that might actually uh that might debase the concept a little bit to call it the same thing. But if those other terms are a better road in to the spiritual dimension of a client, so be it. I, spirituality is something I talk about no less with clients who identify as atheists than with clients uh, who identify as as Christians or Buddhists or Zoroastrianists. Wait, what was that last one? <laughs> I was just <laughs> grasping. Zoroastrianism, it's... So there are people there that love the
2: Mask of Zorro movie with Catherine Zeta-Jones...
3: Yeah, that one. Yeah, you got
2: Daniel it. <laughs> got yeah, it. not so any me. of the
1: not the, any of the previous iterations of Zorro, but just the 1997 movie. I that. that. <laughs> but,
3: Dev, I gotta know. Did you nail the year? Was it actually 97?
2: <gasps> Mm, it Probably. might be 98 might okay. <laughs> let me
3: wikipedia it
1: i'm I on the you case might have. you're right
2: near it what the like scaffolding of your brain is like, Damn, like 98 oh, <laughs> oh <my> man, man. <laughs>
3: that was the middle of high school for me he's writing it Damn. dang it dang it dang
1: it almost good <laughs> grief well you said you have atheist days too so i would i would just kind of want to conclude this this part of the show by asking what is god to you today
3: I think I, I've gotten out of that crisis of, and I think a lot of this is dispensing with hell, right? I've gotten out of that crisis of, oh, oh no, what if I don't believe in God today and, and this is the day I'm taken? Um, oh, yeah. I don't wanna dismiss, I, I, I do think it's hilarious, and yet I don't wanna dismiss that, you know, letting go of that fear in a, in a real embodied way, like it actually being gone is a big part of the freedom. I find myself wanting to apologize for the esoteric version, but it's the only version for me. It's that we are meaning-making machines. It's what defines our species. We're storytellers. I'm a storyteller by trade. I've, I've been a narrative artist my whole life, and a, a huge school of therapy is narrative therapy. It's retelling your story. So we're meaning-making machines. Stories are thus about the most important thing we've got a lot of days maybe most days i'm convinced god is a metaphor and yet that does not reduce my faith or the importance because metaphors are really fucking important when you're meaning making machines and story has this high value and so you know i can put myself in the shoes of my my former quote orthodox self or or my dad or or whatever guardian of the orthodox Orthodoxy hearing that, and you know, and and you know, sort of feel that condemnation. And and these days, I'm just kind of like
2: meh. <laughs> Sips his tea. I mean, how well put. <laughs> I like that, though. Oh, I like. Yeah.
3: You just record that in a voice memo. Yeah,
2: ten times and I can, <laughs> I can listen to it
3: as I go to sleep. How well
2: there put. you
1: go. Yeah. Yes, and, th- and <laughs> really? thankfully, we're recording a video too, so we can make that a GIF as well.
2: <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> available for a low, low cost in the GCF online <laughs> store.
2: The MLM that we're running. That's so lovely, and I I, like, appreciate you saying that because that will be helpful to me, I think, on my atheist days, which are now probably more than my faithful days <laughs> at this point in life. But, yeah, that, like, the the metaphor or whatever, just because I, I can still stand outside of it and be like, well, this might not be even real. Uh, if I acknowledge that, like, the metaphor is still deeply important to me as a human being, then, like, that's that's still good. And that's, mm-hmm. that's valid in itself. Yeah.
3: And I'm more and more connecting to the power story. Um, again, on a, what works level, right? Like when I I find myself recommending books, it's like, sometimes they're, they're written by therapists or, or scientists, but, and, and sometimes they are, but that's not the important part. Like what, you know, what makes, you know, Brene Brown such a big deal is, is her connection to story and her ability to share her own story or, or, or to be able to, to talk with women about, about, you know, body shame, body trust and be like, yeah, you should read Jamie Lee Finch's book. Not, not because I, I agree with every single thing, but the power of that story is that's the juice. That's the thing. Well, did you guys have her on? We did. We did. Yeah, I she need was, to listen to that one. I need to listen to that one. She's
1: great. She was one of our last in-person records of 2020. Oh,
2: that's right. Yeah. Oh, she was great. That's sad. Yeah, she, was,
1: she was very, very lovely. Uh, and I enjoy her in the Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy. Just kidding. She looks a lot like Dakota Johnson. <laughs> yeah, totes, totes. yeah, yeah. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for sharing all that, man. I really appreciate, and especially the perspective from from a therapy uh, a therapy person is what I almost said. You know, a therapy, therapy person. person. That's what I am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like before I hang reason. myself by my words anymore, let's take a short break, and we'll be right back with more good Christian fun. <sighs> Welcome back to Good Christian Fun. It's time for Singles Ministry. Should it be a different song, Caroline?
2: Why? Why would it be I don't a know. different song?
1: It's just literally, it's the, it's such a first thought like, okay, single, single <laughs> lady. It's such a first thought idea. No, it's good. Like,
2: it's like an energy booster. It's fun. People now are thinking about Beyonce. They're thinking about dancing and that's kind of the... The mm-hmm. mind, the headspace we want them to come in,
1: but then is it Talk like is Pedro it not <laughs> if it's not additive, if I'm not doing like a full parody song on top of the instrumental track, is it is it valueless as a as a well, thing Kevin, song. that's
2: something you're going to have to think about as you fall asleep tonight, my friend, and I, I can't help you with that. Now, what
1: if you wrote a parody song? That might be kind of fun.
2: <laughs> okay, I'll try yeah, a parody song. you would do
1: it. <laughs> okay. um, this is Singles Ministry. This is where we take one song from one artist and we talk about it for the entirety of the segment. Usually we do albums, but this time we're just doing one song. We've done it before. We did it with What If I Stemble by DC Talk. We did it with Angels by Amy Grant. And today we're doing it with Almost There by Pedro the Lion. Uh, right. not from, not from Napoleon dynamite, Caroline, <laughs> but before, before we get into page of the line, I would love Jeff to hear about generally your background with Christian music. Now you said you came at it from a different angle than a lot of this stuff that we've talked about before that might air on the side of contemporary radio and the pop stuff. You might be more into the ska tooth and nail MXPX oh, yeah. scene.
3: Yeah. 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 Strong opinions, Kev. Strong, strong opinions like my teenage self. It's just like, okay, listen, um, <laughs> I'll bring him out. We'd love to talk yeah, let's to him. Hear it first off, fuck East Coast ska. Home. <laughs> I didn't know there was East Coast ska. Truly, this is I'm- well. The, the Bostones were were Boston, mm-hmm. um, and then in the Christian scene, I'm trying to remember the, the the name of like the one East Coast ska band, the Insiders. Yep, was it them? Okay,
2: it was great. The New yeah, York Supertones? I did not like them.
1: <laughs> New York
3: Supertones. <laughs> um, yeah, I had strong opinions about it. And yeah, I, I think it was an interesting thing for me to to come to... Like, I was a kid in Phoenix, Arizona, who was mostly hanging out with athletes and evangelical Christians. And, you know, you put all that together, and I'm not, I'm not going to have the deepest access to uh, to obscure music. And so it sort of looked like... I'm pretty cool because I I listen to Weezer's Pinkerton. Not nice. not the blue album, right?
1: <laughs> right. So a popular band, second album. <laughs> instead yeah. of yes, yeah. the
3: most popular. One. <laughs> yes.
2: That's really quirky. <laughs> yeah, right,
3: right. Yeah. Like what that meant like moving into the Christian music was Tooth and Nail Records late 90s, uh the hardcore bands, a li- you know, a little bit of the singer-songwriter stuff. You know, the the distinction of having the the first Danielson family records, Danielson family being, you know, this amazing amazing place where art rock got made. The story of that first record is such a cool art school thing. And the way that, you know, that that became a, a jumping off point for for Sufian, uh, and then Sufian Stevens. Um, and then how Sufian, you know, the way that Sufian Stevens played in the Danielson band happened with St. Vincent, and the way that she mm-hmm. sort of became this megastar after after being uh, associated with Sufian, and that that whole dynamic that gets explored in uh, what's it called the documentary about Danielson um, sounds familiar. I think it's called um, just this angst of like being the father figure and the artsy fartsier one, but your your creative progeny is on this medi- meteoric rise. And so having this sort of musical awakening through Christian music, I actually liked probably heaviest with like five iron frenzy and then into sort of tooth and nail stuff and hardcore stuff. And then sort of going off to college and becoming um, a real obscurist uh, and, and having my own radio show and, and doing, you know, Actual, actual underground rock and and uh underground jazz and you were a dj sir oh my i was goodness. a dj i was a dj at wnur chicago sound experiment okay that should have been like three
2: chapters of your guestimony you know of like oh yeah. the, the dj years i would have liked to know
3: <laughs> i mean there was a time there I, I was going to six shows a week because i was i was booking shows at the clubs i liked the most and I was like, "Why wouldn't I go? I can just call up and get on the list." And yeah, it was just such a great time. And during that time, I actually between summers, I, I interned at Tooth and Nail Records. Was this and when they
1: were in Washington?
3: It, yeah, this
1: Fellas, when they were in Seattle. I
2: don't know what Tooth and Nail is, and it sounds like it's going to come up a lot. Listen, so I would okay, just like Caroline, to know. <laughs> Tooth and Nail
1: Records. It's a Christian rock record label. Mm. It started in 1993. They moved to Seattle. Uh, where it's still there to this day. They got acts like Under Oath, Our Beloved Hawk Nelson, Emory, The Almost, Family Force 5, and Berlin, MXPX, and maybe Pedro the Lion as well.
2: Yes. Okay. Thank you. Now, I know. Yes. I know I know the vein you're talking about now a little bit. Okay.
3: You. You. Even if you don't know it, you know it. And mm-hmm. so I got there in an interesting time where they were moving from being like a real passion project and a bunch of hardcore bands and stuff that's hard to market to just the decision of, okay we every every artist we're gonna play we're gonna be able to market them as the Christian version of blank and so it was it was definitely a, a period of shifting and the record at hand today is an interesting part of that shift right then at the beginning of the 2000s they were still getting these these folks that kind of came through I think because oh hey you guys got Danielson family Peter the Lion and then like Damien Girado's first record was, like a uh, co-put out by Tooth and Nail and Sub Pop? That milieu being the the Cornerstone Christian Music Festival? You guys oh, know yeah. about this?
1: R.I.P., yeah. yes, we have talked about cornerstones. Yeah.
3: And yeah. and going going to that and sort of those days of like I, I only went to it once and it was sort of, you know, on this interesting trajectory that, that you know, the, the Christian the underground Christian music scene that was really centered in the Pacific Northwest was mirroring really mirrored by that festival of a lot the one year i went where a summer where i was really getting this vibe of this transition at tooth and nail toward okay we're, we're a business now we're adults now a lot of the bands that i liked were just like this is our last year playing this cornerstone thing and so i i saw those groups there and, and damien gerato and, and pedro the lion um played in each other's sets it was kind of this goodbye and the song at hand was always one that Peter the Lion would never play live because the literal shout-out to his hardcore roots of that the the hardcore singing in moments of the song. And he wouldn't play it live because, you know, uh, shouting is hard on your vocal cords. Do so you guys know? Oh. Yeah. We know from our live shows, and, and we've since corrected. <laughs> course That's
1: correctly. why
2: we only do one a year. <laughs> it's a recoup after all the shouting. That's right. <laughs>
3: It was like this moment of like the 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 last time for everybody and the here's that song you kids always ask me for, damn it. And uh, yeah, that was a lot of talking, guys.
1: No, that's good. That, that oh, was no, like no. a little mini history of TNN at the time because, yeah. because I was into Five Iron as well, um, which I think was Five Minute Walk records. It wasn't TNN. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but just, I, I feel like such a... And I know this doesn't natively interest Caroline, but just all this like the DJ lore and like this label was doing this, but they wanted to go this way. And so I I find all that stuff so fascinating because all those changes now are not dictated at that level. It's like so many like self starters. It's kind of like what happened with movies in a way. Can I talk about that for a second, Caroline? <laughs> <laughs> you can
2: talk but just, about whatever you want, Kevin. <laughs> just in
1: the sense of like there used to be a lot of 30, 40, 50 million dollar movies that were like mid-budget dramas for adults. And then those have like slowly gone away that they're only Netflix movies now. And then it's like 200 million dollar Marvel movies, franchise movies, Fast and Furious, Star Wars movies, and then like $2 million indies that might break through. And that's kind of what music's become in, in a lot of ways too. Like you can't really rely on the support of like a mid-tier label that might put it out. It's either your Columbia or Bandcamp is kind of what it feels like now. And, the, mm-hmm. and that goes for Christian artists The shrinking
2: too. middle class of music. <laughs> there
1: you go. Okay. <laughs> Caroline found an in. <laughs> <laughs>
2: My economic theory that I also don't know anything about
1: gracious <laughs> so david bazan he he also uh is based in Seattle in Seattle, Washington. he lives out there, and so Pedro the line is essentially him it's kind of like a moniker the way Bonnie ver is Justin Vernon, even though there's been other guys in the band but there, there was a band that started in, in the 1990s. This EP, he recorded all the instruments himself. So everything you hear on this is, is him doing it and tracking it. And then there were a few other people. Then he restarted it. This is a trend too, interestingly enough, with like some rock bands of the rock band will exist it'll disband, and then the, whoever the front person was will do their solo stuff, and then if that isn't quite hitting the way they need it to, they will restart the the band name or even band yeah, even if it is just essentially a solo project now, so so you kind of see that with like. Ezra Koenig's last Vampire Weekend record was kind of just like an Ezra Koenig record with Vampire Weekend featuring, and certainly the New Killers album is like that, where it's basically a Brandon Flowers project that he's just using the Killers' name. So Pedro the Lion's doing that too, and he's one of those guys who's kind of supposed to inherit like the kind of contemporary Christian music thing of like, yeah, it's like a evangelical thing, and you're gonna have altar calls at your shows and stuff. He's like, no, I don't. I'm not interested in that. There's a great book called Body Piercing Saved My Life Inside the Phenomena of Christian Rock uh by Andrew Bajan that that talks about some of this stuff and kind of the uh the crossroads he was at. He was part of a hardcore punk band called The Guilty, which is where you kind of hear some of the screaming on the song we're listening to today kind of rooted in that. Uh and then that kind of transition which once we get into the song we can we can read a little bit from that. So let's listen to the song now just for a a little bit it's a brisk 309 and it's called almost there almost there from the whole ep from 1997 So that's a brief snippet. It's a pretty lyrically sparse song. Well, we've just played two-thirds of the lyrics in the song. (laughs) The second verse being, um, the chances are slight that I won't shoot up tonight, but the sensation that's weighing beneath is a kick in the teeth and then plays the chorus a few more times. So this is explicitly about heroin. But I was curious to see if for you, uh, Jeff, and then you, Caroline, listening to it for the first time, if it felt metaphor, more metaphorical than that, or if it did feel like a literal, yeah, this is just about addiction stuff or like the connection to God in that.
3: I think so much of of listening to, to music that meant something to me two decades ago is about picking up that new pair of lenses. And a huge part of my picking up a new pair of lenses on this side of my life is, is the therapeutic one. Like I find so much of the music I, I used to listen to embarrassing, and that includes songs on this record. It does not include this song. I think that's partly because the the chorus of it's on the tip of my tongue, as a clinician and as a person with so much addiction in his family, I think it's such a beautiful and there's so much pathos in that description of chasing, you know, the, the addict behavior of of chasing that dragon <laughs> mm-hmm. totally
1: and it is kind of shocking i think well, sp- i i think it's easy to say yeah uh this is our first song we've talked about on the show that's about heroin addiction uh there's not a lot of stephen curse chapman songs about heroin addiction <laughs> <laughs> very that few he, that Exceeding he's put out they might be in the vault but we have not heard them yet. Yes, in those. Oh, ideas. I'm sorry.
3: I'm sorry. I need you to catch me up. As, as he said that there is a vault. Oh, I'm sure there's some sort of vault. No, I just assume well, with like, any like. we <laughs> are there saying? There's a vault. You're, like you're a basically Disney saying vault. I'm Prince, and and I need to I need to have a fight with you.
1: <laughs> I assume with any prolific musician over the course of decades that there's going to be some sort of vault, although. I was having a conversation today with a friend about maybe vaults are going away. And isn't that interesting? <laughs> we'll do a second service about that. <laughs> Caroline, I, I know you're jazzed to hear about it. <laughs> it has to do with streaming numbers and the algorithm and people don't hold back anything so they can <laughs> uh, first one is it's at least in, in my street. dreams when I'm sleeping it seems that the needle is full endlessly but you keep on waking me. The chorus is I'm almost there, it's on the tip of my tongue and it never goes away. It never comes to stay. I found that to be a pretty powerful couplet to, to describe what addiction probably feels like or to like transmute it to other people's experiences, any sort of lingering anxiety or thorn in your side as far as something that threatens your happiness or your joy like it never goes away and never comes to say where it's like, well, I didn't have a panic attack and wreck my car today. But it doesn't mean that I didn't feel like I was about to like most of the time mm-hmm. when I was driving. I felt that to be a, a a pretty vivid depiction of that.
2: Yeah, it's so well put, like kind of like a low simmering agony is mm-hmm. in like this whole song.
1: So so from the book, Body Piercing Saved My Life, I just wanted to read this part. Um, they were talking about the whole EP in general. And uh, Andrew writes, it takes less than 15 minutes to go from the kid who decides speaking in tongues was bullshit to the one who wanted to go to heaven without dying. Hole is a remarkably detailed snapshot of Bazan's evolving trademark confliction. Interestingly, he chooses to express what he sees as the growing incompatibility of his two goals, being a good Christian and living by his own code through the lens of heroin addiction. Bazan is in character when he sings, the chances are slight, that I won't shoot up tonight. He hasn't tried heroin, but if you want to understand junkies, <laughs> that's kind of an interesting way to put it. If you want to understand junkies, you could have done worse than being a hipster in Seattle in the early 90s. A buddy's girlfriend had been a heroin addict for a long time, Bazan told me. Uh, and she stopped doing it for a couple of years. Then out of nowhere, she ran into an old buddy. It was a good fit. And she got tangled up for it another year. It just seemed like such a tragedy, something that is always with you. You're always susceptible to falling into the same thing, he continued. I just felt a parallel, like it's not possible for me to habituate the virtue the way I want to. It's this endless cycle of failure that I can't break out of. So for him personally, heroin was an analogy for whatever the virtue lack is or the thing that even like Paul talks about, of like, I know what the thing is and I don't do it. And I know what the thing I don't want to do is and I do it. And that sort of thing that I think even outside of a evangelical or reformed lens that maybe would resonate with some people, the idea of like, I just keep, it feels like I keep screwing this up and I'm not quite there and it's always there. And I even find some resonance with it in the sense of living in LA for t- 11 years now, um, 10 regular years, one pandemic year, so maybe 10 years. Uh, But just thinking to marking my time with church when I did get here and attending another church and then attending different churches over the years, thinking that the problems I would have would be different as I gradually matured over time. So, okay, I'm going to deal with this from like 20 to 23 I'll graduate from that, and then there will be these new problems that are actually more interesting and complicated. Now I'll graduate from that, and then there'll be these even more complex problems. And the truth of the matter is, the things that were happening when in 2010 and 2011, as far as like vice and virtue goes, internally, some of those things are different, but much of it is the same. And most of those things are still kind of floating; they never stay, they never quite go away, but always kind of exist as this like looming threat. Uh, to my happiness
2: and what are those specifically okay yeah. interesting now I'm, I'm glad
1: you asked that and I actually did type them up and they're in the show notes for the listeners to read <laughs> at their own leisure because it's a long document it's pretty it's pretty heavy
2: buckle up uh, <laughs> oh man yeah.
3: Yeah, I like the idea of a show notes just infinite scroll. It's like what? <laughs> yeah. I'm on, <laughs> like, I'm on Twitter now? It's it just keeps going. Today's
1: show notes is technically an ebook. <laughs> how do you how how does the, how do these ideas strike you, Caroline? Does this feel like more I'm a worm chest beating, or does this feel like a more complicated depiction of it?
2: Well, I didn't know this was about heroin. I didn't have all that background, and so it kind of felt to me like this song could be interpreted really broadly and be really beautiful and on like various contexts or this song, you could love it in a totally different way. If you knew a lot about the singer and his life and like what brought him to this stage in life. And if he was kind of an in-between person and in faith, or if this is just like about his family or like (laughs) whatever it could be, I don't know. It, it strikes me as like really sparse, really, um sad and also surprising uh with the yelling. And I just didn't know I was gonna hear a Screamo kind of. Uh, do you want today. do you want me to play that part? <laughs> but I'll I don't wanna later, I don't but... wanna no, I don't wanna be flippant about it, but I thought it was cool too, because like the song is so quiet and subtle for a while too. And but it makes sense hearing a little bit more about what you said and and Jeff what this meant for you too and like that it would turn into like yeah, like screamy rage because it is like a ball of like addiction or confusion or or slavery to something that you wouldn't want to be involved in is is uh would make you want to yell
1: now jeff we we often refer to this encyclopedia called the encyclopedia of contemporary christian music by mark oh my god i he cannot had,
3: believe that's a real book
1: oh it's real and it's spectacular
2: I think it's the DSM of CCF. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so
1: I, I want to see how much you would concur or agree with, uh, pal's description of the genre. Pedro the lion is one of Christian music's most outstanding and critically acclaimed indie bands. Their style is usually classed as emo or sometimes as indie folk rock, but the band is nothing if not distinctive. A typical Pedro album, if there is such a thing, features thoughtful story songs related in the first person to haunting and mostly acoustic instrumental riffs. Words like hypnotic and mesmerizing occur frequently in reviews. Love it. Yeah? Yeah.
3: Um, I mean, I, I don't know. Labels, man, man, labels, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Like it was always so hard. Like, uh, like being, being in the music world and, and thinking it was going to be my career and just being deeply invested in it.
1: What did you want to do in it? Like as a career full time?
3: Well, I didn't, I, I was thinking about engineering stuff. Uh, I played in bands. Um, I was a drummer. Yeah. I, I just loved it. I think it, it, it always gets tricky when it's like, What is what does indie mean? Does that does that mean on an independent label? Because it's certainly what what we meant when we were talking about it. But yeah, okay, I I acknowledge that, you know, it's sort of the sound of a of a really old only three piece drum set. And (laughs) uh, and, you know, a specific Stratocaster and, you know, like, OK, I acknowledge that. But but yeah, I mean, I, I I found that far less idiotic than I expected, Kevin. <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, it's it. it's funny because I don't I don't know this guy's background. I'm other than he's like a professor somewhere, but he's pretty even keeled with only some. Who uh, is it? Uh, guy named Mark Allen
3: Powell. Mark Allen. Oh, oh, he's, he's he's brilliant. Um, I, I'm I'm I I have never read anything by him about music, but he he has a book on the. The historical Jesus that's very, very good.
1: Jesus as a figure in history and narrative criticism?
3: Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, wow. Nice. The credentials on display. There's a a, um, documentary called Strange Negotiations about David Bazan. And I
3: really want to watch it. Yeah. And I I love him in interviews and sort of all, I I love him on Twitter. And he's just such a thoughtful guy and his, his playing with Christianity like a cat with a toy um you know i am i'm not uh fuck you and your labels all all the above over 20 years um is i i love it
1: yeah and he's definitely someone like uh, as kind of a standard of comparison caroline maybe like a less annoying Derek webb (laughs) and someone who definitely is like npr co-signed right like so like music outlets and stuff that exist, like Pitchfork or NPR, still kind of herald his stuff. He's done a tiny desk concert a couple years ago. Like he's still kind of in the mix of like, oh, this is one of the best lyricists of the the '90s and '00s. So it's still in the conversation. Yeah, the record's
3: that. got extremely strong. Mm-hmm. This this record is you know really uneven. And the song I accidentally emailed you, uh, you know, sings a lot about a Jesus shaped hole. Let's be oh. honest. Um,
1: yeah. Y- yeah. Yeah, no, the 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 refrain of that song is Can you fix me, whole fixin' man.
3: Whole fixin' man.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. And it's you the know you
1: that.
3: there's some self-irony there, but yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of inconsistency that like by the time he was on I think Winners Never Quit is probably the third, probably the third full length. So mm-hmm. the fourth overall, things got really, really solid. And not just his songwriting, but his his production and arrangement has been so so good for a long time. And I, I, I agree with the assessment, Kevin, of just like in that conversation for not 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 for a Christian, but as a person in the in the independent or underground music scene, one of the strongest, most consistent songwriters uh, for such a long time. Just cranking out records for two decades now. Yeah.
1: His last album, I took a little listen to Phoenix and, and I really enjoyed that. That came out last year. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. So why
2: did you um, pick this song specifically though? What, what did you, what, I guess, what did it mean for you then? And I guess what do you mean for you now?
3: I, I think I picked it because I, I had a really strong connection to how meaningful it was to me then. And I was deeply curious about how I would feel about it now. And the interesting moment of of telling you the wrong song and listening to that and being like, okay, I, I told the wrong song, but I'm gonna listen to this. And oh man, yeah, I am embarrassed by this. Am I gonna be embarrassed by being a person who liked the the right song? And then listening <laughs> to the right song and be like, no, no, I, there's still a lot here. Nice. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I think for me is like a, an interesting moment uh, that, you know, is a, is a cultural, I guess I'll say a subcultural moment, right. Of, of where Christian music had been and where it was headed. And, and, you know, the way I got to sort of dive, you know, parachute into that just by interning in one particular summer at tooth and nail and, and going to cornerstone with, with the tooth and nail folks, it was an interesting moment in my life. And I, I love the idea of the way these roads diverge of thinking of like what I alluded to earlier, like, you know, the way that Danielson shepherded these people who became fucking Sufian and, and Saint, and then the same kind of pattern for St. Vincent and the way we can watch that through that documentary and you bring it up this documentary, Kevin, the same way these parallel lives of David Bazan, Peter the Lion and, and Damien Gerardo were friends in the same scene, making similar music. And then I, I don't, I don't know if you guys were you know, cognizant of this thing that happened to Damien Giraudo's music, his, his, second, his second full length with this, you know, beautiful, beautiful song. Um, man, what is the name of the song? Doesn't matter. Uh, let's just put it on. I'll sing every lyric. It got sampled, not by Moby, but by somebody almost as big as Moby, like eight years ago, which places it like 15 years after the fact of recording, And because of that sampling, Damien Gerardo, 15 years after the fact, became a person in this world who can make a living making this kind of music. Hmm. And just like all the stuff that, you know, the state of the music business and the way it's shifted and the way I've seen it with my friends who are still in bands, the ones that became very successful and have stayed there, but even that shifts. And then the ones who have been making great music that I love, but, but, you know, I've never been able to make a living because that's just not how it works anymore. I, I dig it and I, I find it like a reflection on, on fate and, and luck and, and beauty and the, and the way that roads go. And I think it's an interesting moment for me just because, you know, the way it was like the last moment for tooth and nail for me, well, it was for him too. Yeah. So that's a really, Mm. really bad long answer, but, Mm. uh, (laughs) words. That was a great answer. Come on. Yes, yes. So Good many words, talking. guys. So many words. Got to get the editor on that one.
1: Listen, <laughs> well, I, I will say, I think it is time to uh, give the song a rating, a roast or a toast. So, Holy Toast, we're going to give it a thumbs up and say, yeah, 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 yeah. Holy Roast, we give it a thumbs down and say, no,
3: no, no, no,
0: no, no, no.
1: Or we give it the space between. The
3: space between.
1: A Christian Dave Matthews band?
3: Oh, I am sure that Tooth & Nail Records higher-ups in 2004 could absolutely answer that question.
1: <laughs> okay, well, we'll Google it later. Caroline, we'll start with you.
2: It's going to be a toast for me. I enjoyed this song. Um, I thought musically it was really pretty and... Yeah, the lyric writing was really good. It was a lot more subtle of a song than I thought it was going to be than our normal fare that we cover on this show, too. Um, And I really appreciated that. And I appreciate that there was like a Christian or faith adjacent artist that was like, I don't know, talking about a real addiction that... Even if they were playing a character that was happening to them, instead of like some poor person out there that needs Christ, you know, and, it's like, not a make fallen make it... woman yeah.
1: song. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah, it was like really personalized, uh, which I appreciate too. So that's my long-winded toast.
1: All right, we'll turn
3: to Jeff for his rating. Yeah, man, I gotta toast it.
2: Yeah, <laughs> this this
3: one's for this one's for the Jeff of mm, the year 2000 who liked some good music.
2: Ah,
1: <laughs> I will say it's very. Um, it can be very validating to like the same artist over a long period of time and to be able to revisit it and not only not feel embarrassed, but almost to kind of feel uh, (laughs) rewarded for the experience and to have something age super, super well like that, or that the lyrics kind of like ground down deeper inside of you. So I'll give it a, I'll give it a toast too. I thought it was like so wonderful and evocative. And I remember back when we like first started uh, doing this show back in 2017, just kind of not knowing that much about other parts of, of this Christian music world and listening, walking around Portland, Oregon and listening to this EP specifically oh, and just kind of oh, the feel. Wow. I remember the streets I was walking on when I was listening to some of these songs.
3: Oh, Kevin, I'm so, I'm so glad that you had a history with this record. I would not have, I, I mean, this isn't a statement about you. It's a statement of, about obs- the obscurity of the record. Wow.
1: Yeah, no, I was, I was, you know, and I'm, and I'm very grateful for that. And, and also, also on that trip, I was listening to Danielson family as well with a friend of mine. So that was a pretty rich, uh, pretty rich time. Um, but yeah, I I do like kind of like, as you pointed out, Caroline, in terms of like, it's not just um, putting it on someone else or fictionalizing it with a degree of distance that makes you unaccountable, but it's literally like the kind of formula of so many fallen woman or fallen boy songs we've talked about on this show, but then having the decency to recognize like, Oh, that's also you. Like you're not different from that. So, so what does it mean to kind of like own that and then walk in those shoes in a way that um, might increase your empathy. Mm -hmm. So I like it a lot. And I I like me emotional.
3: What's that? You're making me emotional.
1: Oh, that's oh, that's very sweet. But yeah, I I'm I wanna I wanna watch that documentary too, because I like everything i Hey!
3: That that hey, they're... Netflix party watch. Well, I'm
1: sure it's not on Netflix, but it is on Amazon Prime to rent for $3.99, it looks like.
2: The low price.
1: Low, low price. So, all right. Unanimous holy toast. Did not think it was gonna go this way. TBH. <laughs>
2: really no well
1: when someone screams i'm not like caroline would love this
3: (laughs) to be frank
2: i'm just
3: like whoa i should have really gone for it i should have gone with you know like uh oh man uh stretcher armstrong or or Zhao or uh you know don't test some of the real hardcore stuff from what
1: you
2: don't you don't want to test me uh you don't want to push me too far.
1: This is Stretch Armstrong. This is a song called Onward, Christian Soldiers. Do you like this, Caroline?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Onward, Christian
1: Soldiers. All right. <laughs> <This> is- <laughs>
2: boy thank you for sparing me
1: uh jeff was very kind in his in his <laughs> pick okay uh but you're not the we're not the final word on this you can also give it a roaster toast on at christian fun pod so get out there and pokemon go to the polls
0: i'm shooting in the leg instead of in the heart and let's do push-ups together man and that second black woman <laughs> it me
1: that was joe biden oh, do saying get
0: the new candidates on
2: there
1: let's shoot him in the leg instead of the heart i'll do push-ups with you man and then my rudolph is kamala harris saying it me
2: <laughs> get the dem ticket on the drop
1: Ooh, Thank you, Kevin. baby okay time to bring it down <laughs> if that didn't bring it down enough already <laughs> Uh, Jeff we're not here to promote ourselves or to plug our own projects we're here to lift them up to the Lord as a loving and humble sacrifice and we'll start with Caroline for that
2: you can lift me up to the Lord at Caroline's farts and I can't wait to do this lift up and I can't wait for the shock in Kevin's eyes as I lift up a superhero show that I've been enjoying called Doom Patrol. It's really, <laughs> really fun and I like it and uh, I I think it's really cool and uh, Jeff, I don't know if you may like it because they do actually talk about uh, mental health surprisingly often on the show and there's a character named Jane who has like multiple personalities but those are her powers too that like have all protected her since she was like a little girl and it's really beautiful and, and So it's Caroline very... by
3: recommending it to me you obligate yourself to give me your HBO Max password
2: Jeff I'd love to give you my HBO Max password Caroline I would no, love this to is
1: messed up Jeff it's my HBO <laughs> Max well, password well, I'll make
2: you a fresh profile we'll, all, we'll get all set up <laughs> it was, it's really good I like it uh, it's also just very stupid and silly a lot of the time time too and great
1: so terrific well we'll turn it to wait okay we'll turn it to jeff
2: (laughs) i i finished a
3: book that's now out about my own spiritual deconstruction that i novelized because i need the safe distance of being able to tell folks no that's not real it's fiction um and also because i'm a (laughs) storyteller and i need to be able to make things up yeah, swimming in those waters uh, again and again in the editing process and now in recording the audiobook of it has been really interesting to, to look back on a thing that you you wrote uh, a year ago and to see where, where, where you are now and I think it's a huge part of the way I'm experiencing Breaking Bad and all the other stuff that I'm re-watching because, uh, you know con- content deficit these days, guys.
1: <laughs> TV will run out very soon. Wow. Um,
2: That's Jeff, alarmist. Where can, where can it sounds you like you're work? trying to incite a oh, mob. Yeah. Kevin's always a little alarmist about the industry. so The sky you know. is falling, Caroline. I'm sure on some level it is true that movies will never be the same <laughs> from when you were a kid or whatever. But, they won't. Uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jeff, where can people get your book? Yes.
3: So it is called Shame Baseball. You're not gonna find more than one book named Shame Baseball. Um, and the publisher is Wipf and Stock. Also not gonna find more than one publisher with with Wipf, W-I-P-F in the title. Um, it is of course available on Amazon. And then whenever, soon, probably by the time this comes out, I'll have the the audiobook ready. And honestly, you could just put my email in the show notes and people can email me for the audiobook so that I can cut out other parties on that transaction wow. sure hey nice. how about
2: that how about that <laughs> a little pipeline for. The, hey that's a little perk for the GCF listener that you won't there get you anywhere go. else you're Sluicy. welcome See
1: <laughs> and then you can follow Jeff <laughs> at Jeff Newberg everywhere
3: yeah yeah you can just
1: DM me
2: Yeah. DM.
3: slide on slide on in there guys <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love a plug that's just like my DMs are open let's go <laughs> let's,
2: let's, let's make a deal me. name just your price
3: ID, I guess I
1: oh know. man Oh, thank you, Jeff. Well, you can lift me up at Kevin Teaport everywhere. Uh, I don't have anything left up this week. I've just been too present in the moment to uh, (laughs) be consuming a lot of time. Doing too many
2: walks and spitting out. Have you guys heard of the outdoor spaces called parks? All right. That's where I've been spending a lot of time. I've been going there and they're good. (laughs) They are good. Yes. (laughs) I'm
1: not going to dox myself and tell you which ones on mic. But maybe later. I'll play yeah, I'll lift up parts. Email this Kevin week.
2: and he'll tell you. <laughs> I'll
1: tell you and then we can meet up and then have cookies or whatever. <laughs> you can it's lift us up nice. at Christian fun Pod everywhere. You you can go to patreon.com slash good Christian Fun for more good Christian Fun and you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And we donate dollars to charity for every review you leave. And this month's charity is Black Lives Matters Charities. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us on the show, man.
3: Oh, thank you so much, guys. Long-time listener, first-time caller.
1: Yeah, that um, was very sweet. And, and, you know, to turn the tables on you a little bit, that's our time today. All right. Our time <laughs> is up.
3: Oh, man, already. <laughs> and there's nothing left like so to much.
1: say except for, and all of Pod's people said,
3: amen. amen.
1: Jeff, what is a... Tooth and nail, or ska song, or otherwise that you would like us to end the show on.
3: Oh, I'm gonna go with um, Five Iron Frenzy and the way they connected to sort of the social ethic of Jesus that you know that gave me some hope in the church uh, back in the day. You know, this band that that had an audience within churches and they they sang a fair amount about indigenous issues and so I think the title would be. Uh, oh... Well the course is no flag flies, no banner no banner waves. I think it's no flag flies.
1: This is Banner Year by Five Iron Frenzy. Banner Year. From our newest album ever. Hey, Reese is a friend. We love him. Thank yes. you, Reese. Wait, really? Yeah! yeah. Oh, Chats,
3: we oh, he, to him. he seemed the, he always seemed like the sweetest guy. Yeah, Thanks he's a nice. very good dude.
2: <laughs> <laughs> talking over trumpets what <laughs> what'd you
1: say okay we good gotta guy. go <laughs> great guy beautiful guy okay we gotta go we'll see you next week goodbye
3: goodbye
2: that was a head gum podcast